Hey gang, welcome to episode 24, that's a number I like, of No Persinium, your podcast about immersive and interactive theater and its ilk. I'm your regular host, ooh, regular host, what could that mean? Noah Nelson, also the uh, founder of this here weird ship we call the No Persinium. Uh, Today, our guest captain, as usual, is going to be Zay Amsbury, who is coming to us from New York City, where he curates the New York No Pro. He's got Andrew Hoffner of Houseworld, the creator of Houseworld, which Zay saw and really enjoyed. Um, And they've got a a big show. You've already seen how long the show is because uh, you downloaded it and you said, wow, that's a long episode. Well, guess what? It's worth it. Uh, The episode, as Zay has told me, is about half not spoilery, half spoilery. So, um, but uh, we're going to listen to this in real time. So um, I don't know if that means that the first half spoilery and the second half isn't or what, because I'm going to listen to this when you do. Why? Because sometimes that's what I do. Okay, uh, this will be good fun. Hey, uh, before we get into the episode, though, it's time for the usual news and notes. Let's start with the news, shall we? All right, uh, here we go. Listings, Los Angeles. The Hollow is coming next week. That is the Speakeasy Society's Halloween special set in Sleepy Hollow at Chloe's at the Golden Road Brewery. Uh, And there's food and beer. Food and beer and the Speakeasy Society. Frankly, that's how I think of the Speakeasy Society now. I think of it as food and beer and theater. Not that I'm saying that they're dinner theater, just like I've had food and I've had beer with them. So you guys are going to have an experience that's much sim- more similar to my experience, except when I'm with them, they're like out of character. You know, that, that just went completely off the rails. I apologize. Hey, let's talk about something else. But you should get your tickets. Get your tickets for the Hollow if you haven't already, all right? And I'm going on the 28th, Wednesday the 28th. So maybe I'll see you there. And don't be afraid to say hi. If you don't know what I look like, clearly you're not on Twitter. All right, um, <laughs> get those tickets now. Uh, also coming up. Uh, this one didn't make it into the last issue. Uh, the Illyrian Players' Kiss of Death is coming very soon. Uh, they've got uh, multiple immersive performance stuff going on at Kiss of Death. Uh, that's happening in the Arts District, if memory serves. There's going to be more notes on that in the next issue, which is next week. Also, Lost Angels, which is... Um, it's like a goth club, and it's sort of an immersive performance speakeasy. That's how it's been described to me. I haven't been yet. I haven't been yet, not because I don't like goth clubs, but because I believe one should dress to the nines when one is going to a goth club, and I can only dress to the eights these days. They've got Rise of the Wraiths coming on. So I'm not even like rimsh. No, no, I ruined it. I ruined it. I was going to like just let the joke hang, um, but... I'm cheesy, so I can't. Look, Rise of the Wraiths is their Halloween special. It's going to happen on Halloween. They've got uh, a whole bunch of interesting-looking performance stuff going on, and they promise an immersive uh, haunted event. That sounds like fun. Um, and if I could dress the nines, uh, I'd go. Maybe if I win the lottery, I'll get my gothic finery back on. And I'm not kidding. I Look... I'm a child of the 90s, man. Like, I love going goth clubbing. I just, I'm, I never have anything to wear. Uh, and I'm that much of a snob that I've got to have the right stuff. All right. Um, hey, let's go over to New York City. Houseworld's running. Houseworld is this episode. So we don't need to say more about that for now. Uh, also, a big ticket in New York at the moment is of Versailles 2015. 
Uh, Zay's going to be talking with the creator of that soon enough. Um, a Los Angeles favorite is in New York right now. The Haunted Hayride is available for your spooky season enjoyment. Congratulations, New York, on having at least one thing happening that's Halloween-related this year. Uh, because Blackout decided to go to San Francisco. Oh, segue, there we go. Blackout's in San Francisco uh, at the Armory currently. There's also an event happening on Halloween at the Armory, and if you don't know what the Armory is, well, you're a better person than I am. Uh, God, why did I say that? Uh, We're all fine. There's nothing wrong with us because we know what the Armory is. Uh, Just, you know, if you don't know what the Armory is, don't look it up at work. There you go. All right. Uh, hey, also in San Francisco, let's just dig a hole here. Just keep digging, Nelson. Just keep digging. Uh, also in San Francisco is uh, We Players has Hero Monster on right now. I'm more monster than hero, uh, obviously. And coming up next month is the interactive circus from the Vespertine Circus called Hinge, which I will also be attending. Uh, the second weekend they go up, uh, they are the, oh boy, get this right, the second two, no, the first two weekends in November, because uh, the uh, the first weekend, October's doing that weird thing where the 31st is on Saturday and, you know, November gets the first on on the Sunday. Hey, look, I was born in October. I consider November October part two, so I can never, never keep the dates in November straight. It's just like, this is this extra month that happens before Christmas time. Uh, sorry, November babies. It's just the way it is. Hey, that's the news. That's the wackiest version of the news so far. I'm getting I'm getting more comfortable with you guys, so I apologize in advance for the rest of my life. Um, also, I'm too old to care. Uh, <laughs> oh, I better not giggle through all this one. This is getting bad. Um, hey. I've got a small, very short rant for you guys right now. Uh, so you can uh, fast forward if you want to and go listen for Zay's voice. But I think this is a lesson uh, that we can all learn. Uh, a reader recently came to me um, because they were having trouble getting to a show. Uh, the show that they were going to, they it, it was a spooky season event that they bought sight unseen in terms of location. Because that's one of the ways that some of the more extreme haunts work. And we're going to be talking a lot about Extreme Haunts next week, but we'll wait for after the end of the show for that. Um, they, uh, they bought the ticket. They live in L.A. The event is happening outside of L.A. proper. And they happen to be a non-car person here in L.A. Who, who, these people exist, and they're wonderful. They are, they are great people, and uh, they have more courage than I do. It doesn't matter whether you have a car or not when it comes to buying a ticket sight unseen there is and 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 I get that this is growing pains believe me I do the idea of the secret location is so sexy it is such an essential part particularly for horror oh my god but there's something that a lot of groups do which I encourage everyone to make basic protocol they say a location in blankety blank. Maybe that's DTLA. Maybe that's Arts District. Maybe it's... Sorry about that. Maybe it's Bushwick. Maybe it's Newark, if you were doing something in Newark, all right? If in the Bay Area, maybe you say, you know, 
uh, West Berkeley. You indicate the basic territory uh, without enough specificity that people crash the thing or interrupt what you're doing. Because people buy tickets and they, they work, they get off work, they need travel time, they need to have a sense of what it is that they're doing. Um, and they might not have a car. And just because someone has a car or doesn't have a car um, doesn't mean that they shouldn't be able to go see a show. I have a lot of sympathy for people in that situation because I spent most of my life not having a car. And I know that I missed out on a lot of a lot of great stuff because I knew I couldn't get home. I lived in the Bay Area and that meant that pretty much after 10 o'clock at night, uh, it, was, it was slim pickings when it came to being able to get back home with public transportation. So just everybody, I get the, the desire to keep things under wraps, please feel free to do that. Just do some bare minimum letting people know where stuff generally is so you don't have people buying tickets and then having to give them up. It's just not cool. It just doesn't doesn't help anybody. And I don't wanna I don't wanna feel like I'm coming down really hard on the people who did it. Uh, because it's a, it's growing pains. It's like, oh yeah, I mean, why would we think of that? Well, that's the thing with problems is that you, oftentimes you don't know they're a problem until they happen, uh, and and there's no reason why you would think of it. It's just you can't see around all edges. Uh, but let this let this be understood as a known thing from here on out, for those of us who listen to the podcast, and hopefully that's some creators out there too. Last note, last note, uh, last yes, note, rant, whatever, not rant. Um, sorry, this one's been long. Hey, I just want to thank Abel Horwitz for uh, upping his pledge on the Patreon. I know I usually save the Patreon stuff for afterwards, but Abel jumped up to the $5 level. And folks, we are $3 away from the $50 a month milestone. And that triggers all sorts of fun. Namely, it triggers the beginning, probably like one month later, of a better mic for Zay which you're going to want because he's doing more of these things. And uh, it his episodes wind up sounding like the old episodes because uh, we, we haven't gotten him a mic yet. So $3 away. If you're listening to this and you don't back the Patreon, we're not looking for more than a dollar a month from everybody. And everyone who jumps in at a higher level, we just love you to death. You get a shout out here. You get a shout outs in the um Twitter feed and the Facebook feed. And I'm going to go back in and like, you know, read remove some stuff around so that uh, so it's much more clear and a little more dynamic. But I'm going to do that after this weekend. Uh, and also uh, issue the transparency report after this weekend so you know where the money's going because I think that's valuable too. All right. This segment has run long as usual now. Sorry. Now for Zay with Andrew Hoffner of Houseworld. This is Zay Amsbury. I'm in Williamsburg in Brooklyn in New York City with Andrew Hoffner of Houseworld. And uh, I think we're going to do this in two parts. Um, first, we're going to talk sort of generally in a non-spoilery fashion. And then you're fine. Um, and then uh, we'll stop and then we'll start again and go much more in, go more in depth about some of the, the secrets of Houseworld. So for those of you who don't care or those of you who have already seen it or those of you who are in Los Angeles or San Francisco or all over the world who may sadly never get a chance to. Uh, so Andrew, yes, <laughs> it's really nice to be here. It's really strange because we're actually recording in the same place where Houseworld takes place. We are. 
Um, this is where I, well, I guess I shouldn't say we're non-spoilery, but many things happened in this room. <laughs> um, so tell me a little bit about where um, where the original impetus for House World came from. I was living in the parsonage of Flatbush Reformed Church, which is the oldest church in Brooklyn. I was living there because the church was experimenting with having tenants in this old unused building. And I make a lot of my income as a church musician. So I was there just not as an employee, but just as a trusted person. And uh, they eventually changed their mind and they started getting rid of us slowly. And so I found myself in a 25 room, 150 year old mansion with myself and two roommates. Wow. And I just started to daydream about what could happen in all those empty rooms until I couldn't resist anymore. And I decided, let's see, let's see this in front of our eyes. Let's see what this weird idea looks like. And how did you, so wait, let's, let's take one step back. So at this point, had you seen some immersive, had you seen say, for, uh, Sleep No More, for example? I saw my, oh, actually, yes, yes. I was in an immersive theater piece called The Universe is a Small Hat. Have okay. you heard of that? No, I haven't. It's a science fiction immersive theater piece by Cesar Alvarez. And there's been maybe 12 or 13 uh, shows of it so far. Wait, is Cesar Alvarez of the Lisps? He's of the Lisps. Oh, so he just did um, Futurity with Soho Rep, and I just saw that show. Okay, and so. I was supposed to be in that right now, ah. but I I said no because of this. That's really wild. And, and I've been in that show before. Okay. Yeah. okay. So we did an immersive theater piece together, and that was my introduction. That's fantastic. Yeah. So this thing that happened in this 25-room mansion that you were imagining, it could have taken a lot of different directions. It could have been narrative, it could have had sort of module scenes, but you end up in this idea that um, is about a dream, I guess. You're creating sort of like a dreamscape for the participants. How did how did that come about and what did you hope to um, evoke with that? It came about because I became excited about a few different rooms and a few different interactions that I wanted to make happen. Mm -hmm. um, one performer one audience member. One was getting your own personal serenade. That really excited me that you could go in a room and a musician would play just for you. That was the first idea. Um, that was the first room of Houseworld. And then when I started coming up with other ideas for other rooms, I just needed an excuse for them to be in the same building uh, because they weren't connected. And the um, the fact that it's a dream seemed like the perfect excuse. So the dream was just a means to an end. Um, I was really just interested in weird, intimate scenes. And uh, once you decided that you wanted to have these weird, intimate scenes, because it seems like there's a lot of collaboration going on. There's a lot of sort of individual development of each of these elements. Mm -hmm. So how did you seek out your collaborators? How did you seek out your collaborators? Were these people you'd worked with before or people you wanted to work with? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been a musician in New York City uh, since I got here in 2004. And I just ran through the Rolodex of all my friends and all my favorite artists and I cross-referenced it with these characters that I had on my in my head and matched them up one by one <laughs> and then got together with each of these people one by one and said, hey, 
will you come to my house on November 22nd and I'll put you in this room and you do this for two hours? And slowly everyone agreed until we had the first house world. And tell me about some of these. Actually, wait, let's let's go back. So tell me about some of these characters. Can you talk, are there any of the characters you can talk about that, I mean, can you tell me about the way you started rehearsing for this piece? So you had these characters, mm-hmm. and you had, did you have a script? Did you have... You describe them and the people started improvising? How did it go? Uh, a few of them are scripted. Um, the script of Houseworld is really funny. It's kind of unreadable uh-huh. because it's just so... It's like an 85-page list of props and some dialogue and some like improvisational ideas. And basically, um, the way we rehearsed it is I told people go in this room and do this and I either told them that in person once or twice at the venue Mm -hmm. which was my house or I typed it up in an email um, and you know I either told them how to improvise or I gave them actual lines and that's it and it wasn't really it wasn't until last month that we ever had a group rehearsal wow yeah now for the for the initial there was an initial house rule before this one yeah how did how did you do? I'm always curious about this with people. How did you do run? So how did you rehearse? Given that for a piece like this, um, I mean, for some immersive pieces, this isn't as much the case. But there's so much interaction and there's so much sort of in, intimate back and forth in house world. Yeah, I wonder how you rehearsed that. Well, uh, just instructions. Instructions. Uh, you know, if you were one of my characters right now, uh-huh. I'd say. When you're in this room, we're in Charles's room right now, uh-huh. and I would say when you, when we're in Charles's room, you're gonna do X, Y, and Z, uh-huh. and um, then we also had like this moment where we decided each character was gonna have kind of a therapeutic question, mm-hmm. and I'd be like, okay, Charles, your therapy, your therapeutic angle is this, mm-hmm. so maybe three times during the night you're gonna recruit people and go down this line of questioning or Got this it. conversation. Um, just all through emails, all through one-on-ones, and then there'd be like a big meaning 20 minutes before the doors opened. Wow. And for like group messages, I'd say like, everybody's going to do this, everybody's going to do that. Uh, stop doing this, this, and this. <laughs> and that's how it came together. Did you have a dry run? Or was the first audience like a real audience? It's impossible. It's very hard to have a dry run of this. Yeah. Even with the two group rehearsals we had in September, um, we couldn't. You'd really have to have 30 audience members. Or maybe maybe the only way we could do it is if 15 people played their role and the other... You know, well, there's there's 21 casts. So if 10 people played the role and 11 people played guests, maybe we could have something like a dry run. But it's kind of like too much of a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the way we rehearsed it is um, we made a circle in one of the bigger rooms of this house. Everybody put a chair around the perimeter and everybody would do their scenes one by one in the center. Mm. And that was how we gave everybody a group awareness of what's going on in the house. Okay. And then when there, when there are intersections of characters, we would do that sometimes either in that rehearsal room or sometimes in real time throughout the house. But really the performances are the best rehearsal and the performances are the best way for these characters and these performers to go f- one from their room to somebody else's room and get a sense of, Oh, this is what they're doing. And this is what my relationship might be with this 
character? So in something like, um, it's possible to go to a piece, it's possible to go to, say, Sleep No More and have not a single one-on-one experience. Yeah. You can go to, it's also possible to go to, um, say, Then She Fell and have maybe some sort of one-on-one experiences that aren't super um, intimate or moving, but then it's also possible to go and have maybe one or two. Yeah. You would have to you'd have to work to avoid an intimate experience in house world. Like yes. you, you would have to actively avoid it. Yes. Um, and at least for me, I found I found myself having at least three interactions. I mean, I'm not shy to admit that I, I revealed something to one of the characters here that I've I've told to maybe three people in my entire life. Uh huh. And and it was great. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like traumatic or weird. It was very intense, but. Mainly ended in hysterical laughter, which which I yeah. think is probably good. That's exactly what this piece is for. <laughs> it's great. Mm-hmm. So how did you? So what? What was that about for you? Like what? 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 What value does that hold for you? Why was that important for you to incorporate into the sort of DNA of the piece? Well, uh, I'm just fascinated with intimacy, and I'm fascinated with it as. Um, an art form or is like a tool in the artist's belt uh, or a component of a scene. Mm-hmm. And I've tried to kind of go at it, wield intimacy and evoke intimacy from as many angles as I can think of. Cause I just, it's so potent yeah. and has such a big effect on people. And I also noticed when I became um, obsessed with this form uh, immersive theater mm-hmm. uh, I would ask everyone what was their favorite part of then she fell what was their favorite part of sleep no more and so many times people would talk about the one one-on-one scene right. that they right. unlocked right and so I started getting really um, ambitious about like well in mine we're just gonna indulge you so much yeah. where you you like had to run around McKitcher Hotel for two hours to find <laughs> that to get in that hut yes. and get the tea. But in mine, you're just indulged and we just um, gorge you yes. with one on one. Yes. So it's it's actually funny because because what what's which to me what's fascinating one of the things that's fascinating to me about House World is and without getting into details yet. There are there are narrative elements to Houseworld. Um, there are sort of events that happen that seem to happen in some sort of sequence. Um, but whereas in uh, say say Sleep No More, where you you have zero effect really on the on the grand narrative. There are like a number of different scenes that happen in repetition, and there's something that happens in the beginning, and there's something that happens in the middle, and there's something that happens in the end. Yes. And the audience has no effect on it. Right. Whereas there are some there are some ways to to affect or at least um, feel like you are turning the narrative of Houseworld. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, and it almost seems like it's um, it's something that's optional. Whereas in Sleep No More, the narrative is not optional; you're carried along with it. Whereas the whereas the more intimate one on ones in Houseworld are. I mean, they're still optional. Like, consent is a very important part for you, which was very comforting, I think, to all of us. Um, how did, how you... did you get that impression from my spe- the line in my speech about consent? Well, it was the line in your speech, and then it was also um, um, just the encounters I have with some of the characters. So, for example, there's a character who, who asked me if it was okay for me to be blindfolded. Right. There's right. a character who asked me if it was okay for me to... Um, uh, 
don't remember exactly what it was, but it's something to do. Oh, I, if I wanted to get into a place where I may get wet, or uh-huh. you did indeed get wet, but it was uh-huh. totally fine, uh-huh. um, even with the galoshes. <laughs> we tried our best. <laughs> um, how did the narrative elements come into play in terms of the the sort of the story of it? Um, well, at first there was no narrative and that wasn't what excited me at the beginning. The mm-hmm. What excited me at the beginning is you go in this room, you get a serenade, you go in this room and there's a, mo- you go in the basement and there's a monster, yeah. you go in this room and it's the room of sadness. So you go in this room and there are people having sex or something. That mm-hmm. was how my mind worked at first. And, um, and then we started getting some puzzle elements uh-huh. And we started also thinking of some relationships between characters. And yeah. there started to be, you know, Houseworld has been like really like everyone has their two cents on like, oh, you should do this, you shouldn't do this. And um, some people have always pushed us to make more narrative. And there's mm-hmm. been kind of a thought of, well, maybe we should. Maybe it's bad that we've neglected the narrative. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's sloppy or amateur or um, bad form. Uh, but. Um, right now, I'm just I'm letting the narrative kind of congeal, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not going to fake that I have like um, lines and lines and lines that I want these characters to say, and stories and stories and stories that I want to tell. Um, those just kind of sprout up around the interactions, uh, and I guess these little disconnected morsels mm-hmm. that I'm allowing to naturally find their links. Well, one thing that really works for me in Then She Fell, say, is that there's no real narrative in Then She Fell. There's no story that you're learning. It's really, if there is a structure, it's that for each individual you go through and these themes keep getting built on and built on and turned and turned and turned. So you have some sort of way into the world of Alice in Wonderland and then you learn more about Charles Dodson. Then all this stuff sort of turns on itself and turns on itself and turns on itself. Mm -hmm. And maybe there's a crescendo or a climax and maybe there isn't, but there's this constant layering. So this feeling of growth. I like that, yeah. The thing that I really, really liked about Houseworld in terms of its relationship to, to narrative was that the narrative didn't feel arbitrary. And it didn't feel um, like it conflicted with the dream logic of the space. Because mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I was missing something or that something had to happen or I had to do anything. I just felt like I was trapped, but in a good way, yeah. um, in in a space, like in an environment. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like the environment was unfolding over time. It was just that the environment was there and I got to explore, yeah. um, which was very satisfying as yeah. an audience member. I think uh, the narrative's coming along right where it should be, yeah. and it's just just poking its head up as it wants to. Yeah. yeah, and then and I don't want to talk about it specifically, but I think that the the way that the ending, and I don't want to call it an ending, but the way that the final moments work mm-hmm. are a, I mean, very, very ballsy. I think uh-huh. um, just the way it ha- what happens, uh-huh. um, but it's also very it's very satisfying because you're simultaneously in the space. And not guided by language or story or image, but you're, you're you're left to sort of your own dream logic to resolve itself or continue working in terms of what your experience was previously. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, that was very good. Um, and uh, let's see. Let me. No, you'll have to pause this. I'm gonna grab my notes. <laughs> Usually I go sort of freeform, but um, I had a couple specific. 
questions that I think we've actually covered, but okay. I want to go over it. Um, did you give any thought to? So you mentioned earlier that there was a monster in in, a ba in the basement. Uh huh. I had no idea there was a monster in the basement, and the oh, way yeah. I found the monster in the basement was really, really spectacular. Uh huh. So I thought I was just going to get get another drink, and next thing I you know, there's I'm in this dark. Anyhow, it's a long story. But uh -huh. <laughs> um, did you give any thought to? So a monster in a basement makes a lot of sense, you it know, like it's sense. down in the unconscious, it's like, it's like below the language, it's something that's, especially the image that I was confronted with the first time I saw, it was very primal and very disturbing, but also very funny and kind of sexy, it was very weird. Uh -huh. um, and I wonder if, so there's the garden where we're sort of welcomed, and then there's the kitchen where there's a certain kind of interaction with a certain kind of character. For, for only a third of the audience, though. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, everybody gets to go in the kitchen, but only mm -hmm. a third gets to go in the courtyard. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, that was very lovely. Yeah. <laughs> so I wonder if you gave thought to sort of like the, the symbolic structure of sort of the underneath and then the entryway in the kitchen and then most of the top floor yeah. things happening in different spots. Yeah. There's a, we've given a lot of thought and... Um, the and and the way you're describing it, uh, I mean, I, I guess I don't want to spell it out for the audience, sure, but sure. Um, many of the thing, many of the characters and scenes on the floors are placed there for a reason, mm -hmm. and then there are, are a few things peppered in in floors that we just wanted that may not exactly go with the concept, but yeah, there's definitely there's. There's a psychological symbolism that we have in mind for basement up to top floor, and there's also a life cycle symbolism. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Um, another thing I want. Well, no, I'll, I'll hold that off for later. Um, one of the things that Mackenzie was really taken with um, was of all of the immersive pieces that that she's been to and that she and I have been to together. This one engaged all five senses in a really, really comprehensive and intense way. I mean, mm -hmm. like there's, there's, I mean, there's food in a lot of these things and drink in a lot of these things and clearly music and obviously visuals, but there was so much yeah. in the house world um, that really helped create the environment. Was that, was that something that was, you intended from the beginning to engage all five senses for the participants? Pretty quickly we realized we wanted the smell and the taste. And those are the big ones of like, how far are you going to go with smell and taste? Right. And with touch, what kinds of touch, yeah. you know, cause there's like the wetness of that room that you referred to. Mm -hmm. And, um, what other kind of touch? Um, well, yeah, there's, there's human touch, there's mm -hmm. textures of an environment. And, uh, and I love all the different smells I love the smells of housewealth, and some of them are incidental. Uh, for example, um, there are a lot of balloons in Houseworld, yes. which has imparted our house with a rubber smell, um, or certain rooms, and um, that wasn't planned, but there's a lot of beautiful smells that happen when you make a strange environment. The, our, our discovery of the, um, of the balloon room was, uh, was, really, was really great. Awesome. Um, so uh, the, um, what was your, how did you work through, because there were some of the, some of the more intimate encounters have the potential to open up 
challenging material for yeah. the participants. And I can I can imagine moments where people are having real like I, I read an interview where you talked about some participants um um having real breakthroughs and really and having and crying and having real ex- experiences of that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Was there some conversation about how to handle that material or are any of the people involved like into drama therapy or any any of those sorts of things? Um well, uh, people people are crying. People are crying at Houseworld <laughs> at every show, basically. I can uh, and um, so far, it's in all of my, in all of the recollections. It's always been the good way. The the kind of like either tears of joy or the tears of like I'm glad I I'm glad I went there and thought yeah. through that. And I love that. That's so exciting to me. Like as um, someone who's been a musician for most of my life. Uh, the ultimate compliment is if your song brings tears to someone's eyes, right? Yeah. And so that I guess kind of that payoff of like making someone go into have an emotional breakthrough is really tantalizing to us. Uh, and we also care um, a lot about making powerful art and making art that um, is deep and touches you deeply. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so we've, we've really pursued that, um, with also a respect for the people we're bringing into it and a care for the people we're bringing into it and a, and a caution and, you know, constant ear of like a constant ear for, are we going too far? Mm-hmm. Is, is this unethical? And I think a, a big place that I have to put the credit for things not going wrong so far is just that so many of the people in-house world are my friends and they really care about the piece and they really care about doing the right thing and being kind. And so they are the people that are keeping it from, um, maybe crossing some ethical boundaries. Yeah. I mean, definitely, I mean, again, like I think the, I think framing it with consent is, um, and that was a very, very clear message that I think that we all got. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the there are a number of things that I find really brave about Houseworld. It's it's very 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 rare to encounter immersive pieces that don't use um, that don't use found material, that don't use other narratives or references to mm-hmm. specific stories or content or anything or anything like that. And Houseworld is very very raw. I mean. Yeah, it really just is itself, and it also wears its house, wears its heart on its sleeve. I mean, there's, there's, there's humor, and there's certainly some tongue-in-cheek stuff, mm-hmm. and there, it's definitely not a case of, um, it's like it it takes itself seriously without being solemn. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, which is sort of like, for me, that's sort of like my sweet spot for for art. Yeah, um, and I found myself wondering. Um, as I was, as I was in Houseworld, I found myself like wondering, like slightly worried about how a hardened, cynical New York, um, world might, might take the piece. Like, um, my friend, like Mackenzie came in with one audience member, um, who, who definitely at the very beginning seemed to have no time for it. Uh Um, and she was very, she was sort of poo-pooing the experience. And because it was too, because it had too much camp in it or because it was, it was taking the, because of the moments it took seriously or, or what? I think it was the moments, the moments, um, that 
the moments that were serious. Okay. I think right. that this person, I don't think this person had, well, not that any of us really had any notion what we were getting into. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I watched her, like I was very careful to watch her whenever I saw her throughout the evening. And it seemed like she, she ended up just sort of hanging, mostly in this room, mostly with Charles. And that's what this room is for. Ah, <laughs> very smart. Very good. Very good. I mean, this was her comfort zone and, um, and this is where she was. That's it. That's how it's supposed to work. That's good. We did it. Um, Yeah, uh, I've never, I don't consider myself especially funny and haven't worked much with comedy, but um, Houseworld is definitely um, deep in my appreciation for humor so much as a way to balance out your piece and a way to like make the medicine go down. And, um, And we're, whenever we're adding, whenever we add humor we add some darkness and whenever we add mm-hmm. too much darkness, we start leaning towards where's some humor. That's great. Yeah. It's a dance. And, and then as far as, as far as source material, um, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm new to theater. I've mm-hmm. been a musician my whole life. And, um, as far as source material, like I noticed that there's a lot of, there's, there's a deep relationship with, with playwrights and source material. But for me, what's exciting to me is like, just make, a new thing. Like we just want to make our own world. We don't want to make Alice's Wonderland. We don't want to make uh, Macbeth's castle in Scotland. We just mm-hmm. want, we want like a, one of my favorite things is a racer head, you know, a racer head <laughs> is just yeah. a racer head. Yeah. And I, and I just thought like, yeah. I want to make my that. That's great. That's great. I'm, I'm very, I feel like, I feel like house world is at least for me has opened up a new space for um, immersive work in, in New York city. It definitely is immediately essential viewing for me cool um and i just wonder so you have a run um that lasts through november Mm -hmm. and then have you thought at all to what's next or at this point you're just you're 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 awake all all night taking care of the baby and once Uh you recover then you'll start thinking forward again well um i am i'm i'm living for this and i have big i've had big ambitious plans for it for the last year uh and what I'd like to do is I'd like this to become a permanent thing in New York City, like Sleep No More and like Then She Fell. And that's what we're fighting for right now. And um, But it won't be permanently the same. It will be a laboratory. And so what's happening in Houseworld in the winter might be very different from what Houseworld is in the summer. There might be five new characters in the summer. There might be five new rooms. Um, That's a really, really good idea. Yeah, new, new you know, new songs, uh, new everything, new puzzles, um, and and once that New York thing feels like it's been done, then I want to build Houseworlds in other major cities around the world and. Uh, I want to go to Los Angeles and make Houseworld Los Angeles. Great. And I want to go to South America and make a Houseworld South America in Spanish. And I want to draw on, you know, the, the colors and the architecture of, um, and the, and the characters, um, in kind of like cultural, yeah, the characters in the different cultures. Um, I want to fill houses with that in each city. Great. That's fantastic. Yeah. All right, so I think I think what we're going to do now um, is we're going to move into a more spoilery section. So, yeah. Um, so for those of you who are listening, who are in New York, and who will have the opportunity to 
Sea House Roll, which I hardly recommend. Um, I would say stop now. I would say stop now, go to House World, and then listen to this again. And uh, for those of you in LA, if you, if you can wait, let's hope that Andrew's dream uh, is realized and there's a House World in LA. Um, otherwise, uh, but it sounds like as new House Worlds come up, they will have different elements. Oh, so they're going to be so different. That's yeah. so great. That's so great. Okay, so Noah, this will be the transition part, and I don't know if you're going to play this or not. Uh, hello, people, if you're listening to the behind the scenes transitional moment. Okay, so so now this is where I get to be like a like a house world fanboy. Okay, so I don't even know where to start. I think I want to start with um, I think I want to start with with the with the design of the monster because I'm so incredibly curious about it. Because mm-hmm. you could have gone, I mean, to mention um, to mention uh, a racer head. Mm-hmm. You could have gone to a design. You could have easily found someone in New York who could design you something that would be disturbing as hell. Uh-huh. So that when, like, I follow the woman, I don't remember the, I don't know the character's name, but the woman who, who says, would you, who takes it, like, I'm standing right there, and Mackenzie and I are about to go grab the shells. Uh-huh. Um, but this woman comes by who I met previously in the basement who offers me a drink. She's like, would you like a drink? I say yes because I would definitely like a drink, mm-hmm. and I follow her down to the basement. Okay, Raina, and then we, Raina. Raina, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then we end up going through this very dark passageway, which is very disorienting and a little scary. Even though I know, I know nothing's bad's going to happen to me, and then I get to the end of the passage, and she drops to her knees and puts her head between the legs of this goofy <laughs> fucking thing. Uh-huh. But it's still sort of because it's so fucking surprising. There's nothing that has that level of design in terms of costume that's, anywhere else in the house right right that's funny you know i don't i didn't know about this scene this is a scene <laughs> that they have devised <laughs> it's fucking weird um, but they they all the performers in household have my blessing to I, invent these things it was great mm-hmm. so so tell me can you tell me about the, the specifically the design mm-hmm. of of the monster or is that something that they did themselves you know uh it's more of an example of we use what comes to us. Um, in the previous version, um, we went for an elephant man, a tall elephant man sort of thing. And the parameters were cancerous bulbs, dirty bandages, yeah. and, um, and disfigured and disfigurements or something. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and now, um, and this one, my one of my collaborators, Mike, he added the kind of insect-like, like furry moth sort of thing. Yeah, some people ended up calling him Mothman. Uh-huh. And um, you know that mon- the monster could have turned out totally um, no, no no campiness, no cartoonishness. It yeah. could have been terrifying, yeah. and yeah. we would have went with that. Yeah, because really, like it was hard to find a costume designer. Costume designers kept saying no last month, and finally Savannah did it, and she did an awesome job. But if but we had no idea what she was going to make. Oh. Um, if you ever want to redesign it, redesign it. Tell me, I can hook you up. Oh, thank you, thank you. So um, if she would have given us, you know, something funnier, we would have worked with that. If she would have given us something terrifying with no humor, we would have worked with that. Uh-huh. And that's why it's it's like that. We did have the intention of, um, you know, there's some characters where. You know, it's just somebody in a cook uniform that's not that surreal, or mm-hmm. sometimes even less than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the monster, we want it to be a little bit more like a, a, cre- a surreal creature. Um, so now, taking a step back, so there are so people come in in groups of 
what it was like five or six or something like that. Uh, there is a group of seven. Did you come with a group of seven? I, I don't remember the number of people in my group. I know that. Oh, you, you, you came in a group of three because you went through the courtyard. Yes. Okay. So um, there's a VIP group of seven okay. to load up the house and to create special scenes that only happen once. Yeah, Mackenzie told me that she sort of uh, awoke wind or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. okay, so she had the wind. So so there have been things where not all the VIPs have shown up on time, and for some re- and we ha- were reserving spots for press last weekend, so mm-hmm. Mackenzie ended up in VIP. Cool. And um, she saw the wind scene, and she saw this, the bottom of the stairs scene that only they see. And then I take people in groups of three, um, as the greeter. Okay. And so I take one person to your courtyard entrance. Okay. I send one person through this wind chime stairwell into the basement. Okay. And I send one person through the front door who experiences an umbrella scene. Okay. And is the umbrella scene from the same person who plays Rain? Same person, but a different umbrella and a different scene. Cool. Yeah. Um, and uh, so then, so then I interacted with the uh, with the chef. Yep. And the chef is the first person who introduced a narrative element, which was there's a bad man somewhere in the building, sensitive sound, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So much later on, um, uh, once I, once Mackenzie and I found each other, because I wanted to wait to grab the shells until Mackenzie and I, so we could like do it together and see what happens. So we grab the shells and we take them down to... Um, now, where'd you get the shells? From the, 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 the band with the sensitive ears. And how did you get them? We just grabbed them and ran. Oh, you just grabbed them. Well, huh? no. Well, first, well, first, I turned over the picnic thing, hoping to make some noise. Uh huh. And then he was, and then he was like, sort of in agony. And then he said, "What?" And then he was sort of in agony because of the yeah, yeah. Noise. Well, so you, yeah, that that's one ran. of your options. Yeah, yeah you, you robbed we him. We we totally robbed. Yeah. So so what? we said, yeah, that was an option we set up for you. So um, so what sort of like did you have a um? What are the possible? How do I phrase this? What are the what are the I want to ask that. What is important to you about these narrative elements about about the choices that people make that that affect this and that throughout the course of the evening, uh-huh. or is it not something that's that's that important? To um, you? It's super important to me, and um, I think this is a very I would this is a very valuable discu- uh, discussion that I'd love to have with any creators in this form is. Um, uh, it's so beautiful to give people access points mm-hmm. of like, I picked up this object here, I got it, I worked to get it, and then I found this other place where it could be used and I got something great out of it, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and so that's beautiful, but that path is lined with um, all the dangers of giving someone a, a red herring or yeah. even just making someone feel like they got a red herring and that the excitement petered out. Uh-huh. So the worst thing is giving them a special object, their game, and they're raring to use it. And at some point they think like, oh, like they didn't like they didn't write things to be done with this. Or yeah. like their performers didn't know to do something. And that really is a vibe killer. And I know those things are still lurking in Houseworld. Yeah. Um, and well, it's such a challenge to get everyone on the same page to make sure. Yeah. I mean, for us, so we we brought. I don't remember. I I completely lost time, of course, while I was here. But the um, once once we brought the shells to the chef, there was like a, a delay. He kept saying, "Okay, we have it now. But you have to come back later. You have to come back later." Right, right. Um, which I don't know. I mean, it didn't 
for me, it didn't diminish it that much because I didn't really want it to end ever. You know? Right, right. Um, I guess we're just going to jump around. So then the ending um, in the nave of the church. Mm-hmm. How, how, well, first of all, I have to tell you, so Mackenzie and I have known each other since we were like 15 years old. Right, right. And we're old sort of theater buddies and production buddies. Mm-hmm. And we used to be part of this uh, group in San Francisco that threw all-night dance parties four times a year. Mm-hmm. And one of the two people who started it was the organist for the Episcopalian Church in the Mission District in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And the dances were in the church. Yeah, yeah. And in the morning, when everyone's, you know, like chilling out and coming down and la, 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 you, we all would lay down in the nave of the church and he would play the organ as the sun rose through the stained glass oh, wow. windows. Yeah. And as we walked into the nave of the church, we laid down next to it, we both looked at each other and we're like, my God, this so reminds us of those yeah. experiences. Wow, that's great. It was great. So how did you come to the, the extremely bold decision to end the evening with what, like, I, it felt like forever, but it must be five, at least five minutes, ten minutes of this sort of sonic landscape that people yeah, just sort yeah. of exist in. Right, right. Well, can we pause that question? Yes, and can we absolutely. go back to the chef? So, yes. Sorry, so this sorry. is this is. I, I just thought of an idea um, of how to improve that the cook's okay. situation, and this might get integrated. So this is how my house rule process works. Okay. Right now, we have, the problem is we have this thing we like the chef, the cook the cook or the chef yes. to do when he gets the shell, but it changes a lot of the piece. It actually sets in motion the ending. Okay. So, yeah, if, some, we so if somebody accomplishes that at 25 minutes, they're waiting for 70 minutes for that to happen, which is a real buzzkill. Yep. And so new idea that I had during this interview is the cook inherits some kind of smaller um, behavior or smaller superpower mm-hmm. um, in the first hour. So you bring the cook, the chef, between zero and 60 minutes, and he does something, but it has nothing to do with that ending. And maybe it, it results in the shell getting carried off to somebody else, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even though he doesn't want that to happen. He yeah. loses it because we make sure he does. And so you get your reward. You got the cook to do something small. The shell, shell went away from him, and that allows... The shell to get to him at the right moment at the end without that waiting period. Yeah. So, yeah, sure. Right, right. So, like, maybe, like, I don't know, maybe, like, in the first 60 minutes, he'll sing, start singing opera when you bring him the <laughs> shell. I don't know. We'll, we'll work on that later. Can the actor sing opera and plays the role? Um, I don't think he can, but. He has, um, he has an amazing face, by the way. Yeah. Fantastic face. I love that guy's face. He's a character. Um, okay, so the church. So, uh, oh, oh, how did we make the decision of just having the pure sound ending? Yeah. Uh, the reason is because in the original space we had this attic, and we wanted some kind of communal thing in the attic. Mm-hmm. We love giving people sensory experiences, and uh, I'm someone who uh, has just loved sound immersions because you can go to places all over the world and in New York city where you can lay in a room yeah, like that yeah. for two hours Absolutely. and just hear drones, yep. acoustic drones, electronic drones and lay on a carpet and take it in. Yeah. And so we wanted to just give people a morsel of that uh, at the end of, at the end of all of these um, emotionally stretching interactions. And, um, and we also had this friend who wasn't there this weekend, but who um, has done it all the way up to last weekend um, who specializes in that. 
And so House Rules was the first time that I collaborated with her, Jesse Smith, and is like, I love this stuff. It's a great moment for her, and it's a great thing to happen in the group scene. And um, and she can do it, and she wants to be in House Rules. So it just it was the perfect storm, and it, it's always been an ending we've loved, and so we've kept it. That's really great. And keep doing it. Um, and the the uh, the guru in the bathtub. Uh-huh. Where where does he where did he come from? Uh, his name is Joe Crow Ryan. That's the okay. performer, and he is um, a musician. He's a he's actually a famous subway musician. Oh, yeah. Um, Vice has done a documentary a documentary on um, him playing on the G train for years, okay. which he doesn't do that much anymore. He now runs an open mic in um, Bushwick, and. Um, and when I thought, I thought of a guru in my bathtub, and and then I thought of him, and I put him in for thirty seconds at my at my old house. Did, and now, it did, was this, did this take some convincing, or was no, he was no, very gung ho about? You, you can imagine that he. I mean, we like each other and we trust each other. He came okay. over, he gave it a try, and it was just magic. As soon as he went <laughs> in that tub, he just knew exactly what to do, and um, it was one of. I got like there's been certain things where we'll like work on a room for a week and try to like extract some reward. Uh-huh. But with that, it was just getting Joe to the house, put him in the tub, and we had this like golden goose immediately. It's great, it's great. Although I have to say the the first the first time that um, House World NYC tweeted, I think it was either me or No Proscenium. Um, I, I really thought someone was trolling us. I was, I was like, it's like this is this is. Uh, this is goofy, but it's it was really wonderful. I really dig that room a lot. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you mean just like the image of this guy in the tub? <laughs> yeah, it was like I thought it was like I was very confused by it. Yeah, uh, it's not the sort of thing that might make sense right away, and it's hard. I guess it's hard for me to like um, to give people the best image or description to bring people into house world. It is sort of hard to find um, like a a, um, a specific image that galvanizes the whole thing. Yeah, you know. And I actually noticed in a lot of your a lot of the different photos you have for the different interviews and the diff- all the different press material mm-hmm. that it changes a lot. Like you've got the logo, the House World logo, uh-huh. and then the photo behind it is often something different. Yeah. Um, I, the thing I actually like the most is you in in the entryway garb. Holding the, uh, the, holding shell. the shell. Okay, okay. Um, like, I mean, maybe having already been through it, but I, I, I really, really like, I really, really like that image. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, That's we have, we can use that one more. We can use that one more. Um, another thing I wanted to ask. So then there's, so in the, so there's, there are these two rooms, wind and rain. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and in both of, in, in both of those, actually, don't, actually, I have a hard time remembering the exact, the exact sort of key to the interaction in wind, but it was, it was actually very intense for me. Uh-huh. That's probably why I can't remember it very well. Was, uh, were you blindfolded? I yeah, was you blind, were blindfolded. I was blindfolded. I can't quite remember the content you know, of the conversation. You know, that's another scene where uh, the performer has invented that scene, and I haven't experienced it yet either. It's, it, was, it was great. She figured something out about me that was quite impressive. Very nice. Um, and in the rain room, so there's so there's the so you get into the thing. You've got the you've got the gigantic awesome umbrella. There's the wonderful blue light, 
Um, Balloon. And then she asked this very intense question, which is, tell me your earliest, what is your earliest memory? After uh-huh. after making you comfortable and chatting with you and sort of vibing you out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I wonder if, if she's, how did, was that, something, was that something that she created? Was that one of your, one of the characters you imagined? And uh, what's the relationship for you between memory and water? Or... Right, right. Um, this is a lot uh, Magalie's invention. Um, Magalie attended the piece the very first one as one of my good friends. Mm-hmm. And um, when, you know, I said like, what would be your character? What would be your room? She, she was a new mom at that time mm. and she wanted to make the womb. Right. Oh, and, um, so the character we invented for her was the person in the womb who we eventually called the doula. Hmm. But the problem was the womb, as we envisioned it, it was just too hard to make. And even in this house where we thought we'd have more time, more budget, and I'd be like, oh, I don't want to build that womb. That womb's not going to turn out in time. And so we we went back to the character from the winter that we'd made at the last minute for her, which is the rain. She stands in the shower. It's ne- it doesn't take that long to set up. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so Magali... Um, she's all for the rain. She's always kind of transferred a lot of the material she wanted to do for the womb. She transferred it to the rain. And so that's why the, the water and I the see. first memory and the yeah. rebirth, and it all makes sense. And you don't have to know about the womb and the birth. Uh, like it, it works with the water. Right, so right. I think it's kind of just a happy coincidence. Huh. Um, and then the other question I have is, so, so you were, you're at the entryway. Mm-hmm. And you let people in, mm-hmm. and then I think later on you were the person who was in like the full body sky thing. Yeah, yeah. So what, what, what do, you, what are you doing? Like between, like once you, everyone's in uh-huh. and engaging, Which and is like your 50 job as greeter is gone. Yeah. Then what, what, what is your function after that? What are you? Are you sort of monitoring stuff? Or yeah, yeah. Well, um, conducting it all. The sky role is new. I used to just be the, the greeter the whole time, mm-hmm. but it just felt like I, I didn't really have a character. The greeter doesn't have a strong character yet, mm-hmm. and um, it just kind of felt like everyone was like, "Oh, here's Andrew. Like we're at his show, and there he is walking around." Yeah. And so he wanted to disguise me, and I, and I love that the sky suit. It really adds a nice surreal element, right? <laughs> it really it's a striking does. image. Um, so my job is first to, to induct people and to lead them to the house for the first 50 minutes. Then for 20 minutes, I set up the last scene, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, I, I disassemble the first scene and set up the last scene. Right. Right. And then while I'm in the house for a half an hour, it, um, during the first week I was kind of making sure the ending happened. Mm-hmm. I was kind of like watching from the wings to make sure it's timed right and kind of like I would go in the kitchen and put my hand on the cook's shoulder in order mm-hmm. to um, prompt the ending. Um, but now those performers are getting, like last night I didn't do it and they knew when to do it anyways. Everybody's getting a good internal clock That's great. at this point. We do, we've done eight shows now. And so now I'm just kind of adding to the vibe. I'm, I don't really have any responsibilities anymore. That's good. I have to find the bells. I have to find the bells when somebody gets the key. Uh-huh. And then I hand out bells to the performers and we let the house know that it's time to empty. Yeah. yeah. That, was, that was once once the chef brought me and a couple of other people down to – we grabbed the uh, – uh, the picnic playing, the the sensitive eared man uh-huh. went down to the basement to free the um, Papageno, the monster. Papageno, yes, and then took him back up the stairs. As we were going up the stairs, Reina was walking behind them. Uh-huh. I don't know if she dropped or it came from somewhere else, but that was when a key dropped, and it wasn't uh-huh. the key, but it was a key that led like anyhow. It was, yeah, it was very good. <laughs> <laughs> There's been some funny stuff, like um, oh my god, there was a. Uh, 
on the show before you came, mm -hmm. people have been finding keys in this rectory from the actual church, you know, because <laughs> churches have a zillion keys. Right, right. And so it sucked because people found stray keys that we didn't find in our cleanup process and they went to the padlock themselves <laughs> oh, no. and they broke our padlock with the with keys that weren't supposed to be in our show. Wow. And so we had no so we couldn't on that particular line people couldn't enter the door that you're trying to unlock the whole time. We had to take people around to the front entrance of the church. Wow. It's a little embarrassing. But uh these are just the challenges of immersive theater is yeah, like yeah. if you don't look in every corner and crevice of your venue, it might have keys that disrupt your performance. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And especially if you don't I mean, the, Mc the McKittrick Hotel is, like, people should have hypnotized this one where they think it's a hotel, but really it's a set. Yeah. Like, it's a totally controlled, totally constructed set. Uh-huh. Um, it's also fascinating that Sleep No More and Then She Fell has trained immersive theater fans that you can look through drawers, you know? That's right. Whereas with, and for them, that's exciting. For yeah. me, I don't really care about giving you interesting drawers. So yeah. I'll do a little bit, but I'm not going to spend all night making a cool drawer. Yeah. But yet... Because they've set the precedent, yeah. I have to be prepared for guests to behave that well, way. One of the things I really like about where immersive theater is right now is it's like it's like the early days of a new like I don't know like musical genre where you have all these different bands. They're very different bands, but they're still in the same genre. Yeah. Um, on Friday night, I saw. Uh, do you know Erin Mee? Mm -mm. She's uh, Charles Mee is a um, really really fantastic playwright. Um, who's who has written these really incredible sort of very contemporary postmodern plays, and Aaron Mee is his daughter, and she's a director of various sorts of immersive pieces. Mm -hmm. um, and she did a piece that's set in a apartment uh -huh. on the east side, uh -huh. and it's like you're going to a party, and then their little scenes happen here and there, uh -huh. and it, it's and, but it's like someone's apartment. Yeah, yeah. So she's very clear, like. Please do not open drawers. Please do not turn on the computer. Like all of this sort of thing. Right, right, right. Um, so I think we've been going for about an hour, which is awesome. I imagine we probably go for a few more hours. Uh -huh. But I'm curious if you have any, like, if you have any questions for me as an audience member. Oh, yeah, I do. I do. Um, what What are my questions? My question for you is, how much did Houseworld feel like a haunted house? Oh. Interesting. It didn't feel like a haunted house at all to me. Good. Because it's not supposed to. But yeah. I feel like sometimes that's the reference point. Right. And I feel like sometimes with some of our promotional imagery, that's what it looks like. Yeah. And um, and, do, and did you have that impression before you came? Of no. Like, no. Even before you came, you knew no, it wasn't but, a haunted house. No, but I think that... And I mean, to me, in, in the press materials, it doesn't seem like that either. But I think it sort of depends on, on the audience member. I mean, most people who have been to anything that you could vaguely call immersive theater have been to a haunted house. Mm -hmm. Like that's sort of like, that's the immersive theater that everyone's been to that you wouldn't call immersive theater. Yeah. But like Times Scare and like all that stuff, that uh -huh. really is what it is. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, but also partially, I think for me, it's because of the way I came into it, um, which was meeting the person outside and the washing of the hands. And it's, you know, I mean, there's nothing... The I mean the closest anything even vaguely comes to a haunted house is the is the basement. Yeah, yeah. The basement, but yeah, no, that's kind of hard. I mean, the, you we want to have fear and the yeah. and suffering, and it just 
that that that's didn't that didn't strike me at all. But I'm I'm probably a bad person to answer that question. Okay. okay. But I also I I mean if if it's something that you're worried about, is that something you've gotten from audience members or people inquiring about the show? Uh, it always comes up, and I'm always just trying to steer this boat away from haunted houses. And you know, yeah. I'm working with a lot of collaborators. I'm always sending the message of like, if you can find a costume or a way to behave that's less haunted house, like choose that. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think it may also have to do with the way people come into it. Like, like the first, like if the first experience you had is in the basement with the monster, or even with like like Raina in the basement who's like she's a little creepy a little spooky mm-hmm. um and like a little like that creepy spooky sexy like world that um the haunted house plays in mm-hmm. um and even maybe the chef a little bit who's a little scary it could be a little yeah yeah but if your first experience is like is wind or your first experience is having your hands washed and a song sung to you yeah i mean it would be hard to feel like that's the framing of it unless you feel like you're being really deeply set up but right right yeah that's good uh now one thing that we pay a lot of attention to is um dream breakers Uh, for example Hmm. it's been pointed out to us in our many performances of this that bright lights are break the dream yeah and so when i was setting up the first five or six i never thought of that um, but now anytime there's a light that's the brighter a light is in the house, I think, is that going to break the dream? Is that going to break the dream? Yeah. And were, did you observe other things that break the dream um, other than maybe poor improvisations and stuff? Or? Not, I mean, I would say that there are only three, there are only three things to me that did that a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, uh, one was, one was honestly the character of Charles. Right. Because I, I had a hard time figuring out how how Charles fit into it. It was almost like it was almost like like it was that was outside of the dream, but, yeah. but still without disrupting it. Yeah. You know? And now the funny story about Charles is Charles was my actual roommate when I staged the first piece. Oh. I, my roommate was named Charles. And I thought, you know, these two roommates are either going to hate me and try to <laughs> shut down this piece, or maybe That's I can amazing. bring them in and they'll have, be having so much fun that they forget that I'm doing something ridiculous yeah, in yeah. their house. I'll give me pizza and beer. And- yeah. And so now an actor is playing my old roommate that's amazing the human in the dream and that's really funny that's good i think partially may have been because also i ran into charles setting up the the um uh the little sign outside oh (laughs) Um, and also charles was the person who checked my bag that's supposed to happen yeah no no i get yeah no totally and then the other thing and this is this is a super little thing there were a couple there are a couple moments where characters broke a teeny tiny bit that's that's just gonna happen Uh um Although I will say my favorite moment, and this didn't, this took me out, but I adored it. It was one of my favorite moments. After Papa Papa Guido, Papa Papa Gano, Papa Gano was freed and the chef was taking him out. The person with the flashlight stayed back there where the sensitive eared man was still sort of in agony. Yep, yep. And so there was no flashlight. And the chef goes out and makes a wrong turn. Uh And he's like trying to take take the monster out and then he's like he's like yeah we have to get out we're going out finally knew where i was fucking going <laughs> it's, it was That's hilarious funny. yeah it was very good it was very good mm-hmm. um but yeah no those are the only things That's cool things i would say my friend cesar who i worked on uh, the universe of small hat with he yeah. um 
his motto for this type of work is when in doubt, LARP it out, <laughs> which means, you know, like yeah, if absolutely. you're the chef and you run into the tunnel, yeah. uh, make it the chef. Absolutely. The the absolutely. All right. Well, this, this has been great, Andrew. Thanks so much for chatting with us. Yeah, yeah, and thanks uh, for coming over today. I look forward to seeing how house world evolves. Maybe like when the houses are, when the, when the lot of rooms are different, I'd love to come by and check it out again. Yeah. We're hoping to just, Grow it and grow it. So Excellent. you're welcome back anytime. And I will send everybody who I can get to come see it. I will send them to come see it. Thank you so much. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my regards to Noah over there in Los Angeles. I love this program and I've listened to every single one. Awesome. Yeah. Been awesome. taking notes. Great. Thank you very much. And yeah. uh, Noah and LA and all you know for people out there, thank you for listening. If you're still listening at this point, <laughs> you're a real trooper and uh, you're awesome. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. When in doubt, LARP it out. You have my permission to put that one on my tombstone. All right, everybody. This has been a fun episode. Uh, thank you, Zay. You can find Zay on Twitter, at Zay Amsbury. And thank you, Andrew. Andrew, you can find... He's he's not on the Twitter so much. Houseworld is on Twitter, at HouseworldNYC. Uh, Andrew, Andrew, you can find on Instagram a little bit. He's give to light t-o not t-w-o or t-o-o um so yeah you can you can check out uh, a visual sense of what shenanigans he gets up to uh by checking that out um next week's episode next week's episode is going to be a lot of fun how do i know because i recorded it like three days ago that's how i know uh we've got john schnitzer who is the director of a documentary called haunters and Haunters is about, da-da-da, Haunters and Haunted Houses. Good old-fashioned haunted houses, like your driveway haunts and your, your backyard haunts, uh, all the way up to the extreme haunts, your blackouts, things like Alone. Uh, and we, we we get into it for quite some time. Uh, we, we had a, quite a blast. Uh, much like Zay could have talked for hours, probably will talk for hours with John. Uh, but next week... You get a nice chunky episode, uh, and it's our Halloween episode. So that's um, that's the show. Uh, that's everything. Uh, another big one for you guys. You can find us on Twitter at No Persinium. You can find us on Facebook by looking for No Persinium. You can uh, check out the Medium collection where uh, we just put up a, another review out of uh, the Wow Fest, and there'll be even more written up stuff very very soon. Uh, that's medium.com slash no dash proscenium. You can sign up for the newsletter, which is the genesis of all this, by going to noproscenium.com, which is about to get a refresh in, I don't know, six weeks or so. Um, I have a very loose definition of the word about when it comes to time. Um, what else is there? Uh, write us, write us, no underscore proscenium at outlook.com that's how you tell us about the shows that are out there that you know about that we don't because guess what we we don't know anything that's we just don't we don't know anything until you tell us about it uh and then we decide whether or not it's cool no uh and then and then we put it through an algorithm of hitting our heads against the walls and saying like oh uh is this what it says it is And, and that's how the newsletter gets made uh, we've got a lot of cool shows lined up for the next few weeks. Uh, keep on booking them out. So we're going to be good through November and probably into early December. And then I bet you we're going to take a little bit of a holiday hiatus uh, because I'm going to spend like two weeks doing nothing but watching Star Wars. So, But hey, this is not a show about, about that. This is a show about immersive theater. So in that meantime, uh, go to the Patreon, patreon.com slash no 
proscenium. No dash proscenium? No, I think it's no proscenium. Try it both ways. Uh, go to the Patreon and help us out. Like I said, we're only $3 away from the next milestone. And uh, gosh darn it, guys. That's it. You're troopers. You're, you're super troopers because uh, you put up with all of this even after Zay said that, oh my God, you're troopers for going that far. So you, the two of you who are listening right now, Next week, I'm proposing. All right, that's enough for now. Uh, come on out to The Hollow on the 28th at Chloe's at Golden Road and say hi to me. At Noah J. Nelson is how you find out what I look like. Um, <laughs> so you know who to say hi to. And that's it. Until then, until that very day. Wait, on that very day. Yes, on that very day, I'll see you at the show.